there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so we've got quite the special guest on the podcast for you today. Uh, Stephen Liu from Singapore, who's a good friend and also used to live here in Fukuoka City up till a few years ago, is the director for public policy for the Asia Pacific region at Airbnb. And as you can imagine, we, and especially Tracy Northcott, our resident short-term stay expert on the Japan Real Estate Experts panel, really wanted to pick his brain and hear from him about everything the company is and has been up to here in Japan. So we talk about the company's history and philosophy um, all the way from founding and until nowadays, the legislation changes that occurred here in Japan back in 2018 and how that has affected the market, um, Airbnb's efforts uh, or lobbying, if you will, of both the national and municipal governments here in Japan, and a whole lot of uh, about their work with hosts, the Japanese Kominka Association, how they get local residents on board with short-term stays in their neighborhoods, their thoughts and work on Akia rural rejuvenation projects, and much, much more. So a really fun conversation with someone who's really in the thick of things as far as short-term stays in Japan go. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. All right. The uh, Japan Real Estate Experts panel is back in session and um, we'll skip our own uh, private intros today because we've got a special guest on with us. Um, this is uh, Mr. Stephen Liu of Singapore, Hello. formerly of Fukuoka City, best city in the world, and he's written about it to some extent himself. And um, also... Um, I'll let you um I'll let you uh, introduce yourself with the title and everything but Stephen has been working with Airbnb for quite some time now and we thought it would be a great idea to uh, have him on the show so we can uh, pick his brain a little bit so Stephen please introduce yourself Thank you Ziv and also thank you Tracy for having me um so my name is Stephen Liu um born and bred in Singapore but as Ziv has said I spent a couple of years living and working out of Fukuoka probably the best city in the world. I would agree with that. Uh, definitely the best city in Japan, in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> so I've been I've been working for Airbnb now, coming up to my third year. I joined um, during COVID, which was a very exciting opportunity to join a travel tech company in the middle of COVID <laughs> when all travels were stopped, you know, for, most, for the most part. But it's been a it's been a really enjoyable few years. So I'm very happy to be here. 
Um, hope I can share a little bit more about some of the fun stuff, exciting stuff that we're doing in Japan. Mm. Um, look, I really appreciate you coming on and actually spending time. I know you're super busy. Um, and I guess I just wanted to sort of set the stage a little bit for people listening that your area of, you know, your area of genius is really working on public policy, working with, um, you know, working with the federal government and um, and also massaging that relationship between, um, you know, the hosts like myself, um, you know, local local governments and also federal governments and, you know, Airbnb. So is that is that a good characterization of where you where you sit? Yeah, so I you as you already said, we I, I work for the public policy department uh, within Airbnb. Um, we are a small and mighty team in within a company, um, just a couple hundred of us um, across the whole globe. And if you think about the reach of Airbnb, we are in more than one hundred and ten thousand cities across two hundred and twenty countries, and every single city would want to try to have some sort of interaction with us. You know, some of them would want to regulate us. Some of them would want to get us to partner with them to promote their city as a destination. So it's a, it's a and some of them are a combination of both. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, they want to regulate us, but and on the other hand, they will say, hey, look, we recognize that we need you for um, to promote tourism to our city. How can we work together? So the public policy team in Airbnb is a little bit different from um, a lot of the other public policy teams in tech companies I worked for in the past. Um, my 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 sense is that it is both a team that engages with government to shape the regulations in 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 a sensible way, but at the same time, it's also a, a organization that go out there to work with other whether it's government or NGOs or even individuals um, to figure out ways to promote the concept of home sharing, promote tourism in a sustainable manner. Yeah. So those are the things that we spend a lot of our time uh, working on. Mm. And look, you know, the fact that Minpaku, you know, as a rule is is allowed in Japan is really a testament to the hard work that you guys did back in 2016, 2015. And I'm not trying to, you know, puff you up on you know, like, but but it's it's the reality that there was a lot of backlash when when the 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 perfect storm of increased tourism to a like a grey zone in the regulations and a lot of hosts that were opportunistically opportunistic and to be frank a lot of them were doing it badly and so there was backlash in the community and rightly so but through the hard work of Airbnb we got to a point where you know the 180 days it's been you know regulated to that point and and I want to hear how you think that's been from then to now and then also you know what as hosts we have to look forward to moving from from now well, Tracy, I, I think first of all, I want to say that it wasn't just Airbnb that was, um, you know, working hard to get to the right place when it comes to regulation. Our, our host in Japan um, also played a really, really important part in that conversation. And I want to also give due credit to the national government um, for having the foresight to say we need a national law. You know, we need to figure out a way where we can 
we can allow this new way to travel um, to grow, but at the same time deal with some of the concerns of the local community. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not Japanese and none of us here are Japanese, but we all live in Japan for different periods of time. I think all of us have a very deep appreciation for the need of social harmony within Japan. You know, it's a very homogeneous society. Um, there is a, a, a very, although unspoken, but very clear set of norms of how people should behave and should not behave. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you introduce a guest that may or may not know all these norms into a community where it is a community of a lot of people who, who understand those norms and expect everybody to behave along those norms, problems will occur. So I think the, the law was a good starting point to say, okay, these are some of the behaviors that need to be um, be, be, be uh, expected of all of you, whether you're a host or a guest, you have to behave this way. And also as the platform that is mediating this, these are the things that you need to do to make sure that your host and a guest behave in a certain way. So I think for me, coming into the Airbnb, after those laws were passed, um, you know, I had the I would give a lot of credit to my my team members who are still around, um, who who went through the whole process. It was a tough process of of negotiating for the laws to be passed in the right way. Implementing the law was a very tough one. Um, And then with the help of a lot of our hosts, I think we are now at a very good place where, you know, we we believe we have a group of very good players, you know, people who are responsible, people people who want to to be good hosts, not just to our guests but also good neighbours to their communities. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, look, I take I take my community responsibility extremely seriously as a host. Um, we made the decision to go through, jump through all those hoops and get regulated because I felt it was really needed. Um, but also that my business revolves around educating my guests on that. But they appreciate that the people that are coming to stay with me are the ones that want to learn, that want to feel the culture, like at the DNA level. They that want to, you know, that that want to show their kids what it's like to live in another country and and experience another culture. So it's not just a place to stay when you're going out and going to Disneyland or going to have a look at the the sightseeing. It, it's you have a deep appreciation of the place where you're staying, even if it's just for a week or two. So, um, so I I get that, and and um and and I see and I take that responsibility seriously, and and my and I also, you know, spend a lot of time helping my guests be great community um community uh, members. I think that was um, that was initially when I first heard about Airbnb a good few years ago. That was initially what I felt Airbnb was all about. I know that these days it became a lot more than that, and in many cases it's it's kind of an a hotel alternative. But I thought the original um, impression that I had of Airbnb was kind of like couch surfing on steroids. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was. Um, Come into someone's home, share in a local neighborhood, share in local customs, and and you know get somebody local to actually show you the ropes. I think that was that was the philosophy behind. Sorry, just a quick uh, Emil, do you want to quickly say hello before we get back into it? 
So, hey, sorry, I'm late. Um, hey, my name is Emil. I'm a, I'm a real estate agent here in Tokyo. Thank you so much for joining, Stephen. Uh, we, Hi, we, Emil. We, we've been excited to uh, to get you on for some time. I think we had to reschedule once in the past, but uh, I'm glad you're on. I had a uh, 12 Airbnb listings in Tokyo at the peak, um, and due to like you know regulation and then COVID as well, I sort of I'm I'm out of that game. But I was heavily in sort of early on from a um, 2017, no 2015. Um, you know the the real sort of boom days uh, early on um, when everyone, I think even Airbnb was learning the ropes. Um, in Japan, navigating that. So, uh, yeah, th thank you for your time. Um, but I'll, I'll just keep listening for now, and I'll try to catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and I hope I'll be able to convince you to come back on as an Airbnb host. No, no, he's gonna he's <laughs> getting real estate places for me to then go and manage because he gets it right. He knows he gets the business, and um, yeah. and and unlike, and then you know, he he has his real estate, um, you know, real estate business and then i see real estate as my place of business so because i run a hospitality business and he runs a real estate business so we two we're we're like intertwined so yeah we do a lot of work together actually mm. awesome and we're seeing that also across um a lot of our 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 markets within japan that you know i think to to ziv's point it seems like couch surfing room sharing on steroids um i think to a certain extent you're, you're right you know it we've been around for 15 years since the founding of the company but the original idea of of, of airbnb was you know three young french graduates trying to make it in san francisco um having problems making rent and then they realized that the best one of the good way to make some rent extra money was to inflate three air mattresses, leave them around their living room, go on Craigslist and say, guys, we've got three air mattresses. If you need really cheap place to stay, come stay with us. Hence the name. It was originally called Airbnb and Breakfast. The idea was Brian, Joe, and Nate would bring their guests around to have breakfast in their favorite cafe in, in San Francisco after staying at night on their air mattresses. Um, so I think that that original DNA of providing affordable place for people to stay for a short period of time, um, allowing you the opportunity to stay in a very local environment, but not you know not in a not in a, a nameless um, you know big chain hotel in, in the middle of the tourist area, but actually staying with locals, um, providing you that human connection between you and be, between the host and the guest. I think all of those are the original DNA of Airbnb, which we would like to believe that even as more and more hosts become professionalized, um, we still want to hang on to that DNA. We want to hang on to that magic, that it is a human connection, ultimately, that, that really matters. Mm. And and so, you know, I spend a lot of time actually working with my community I, and by myself i'm i'm knocking on doors i'm making friends with the neighbors i'm like making relationships with small businesses and the local you know the local mum and dad like uh you know mom and pop i think in american english like the the silver shop and the the you know the 
uh, the the yakitori place and and i'm able to give that local knowledge that pass that forward through to um you know to these businesses who who understand what we do and they appreciate that we we are bringing you know new new money new blood into into these in some of these communities um so i think that's going a long way to uh you know to help people who are not in the tourist industry, people who are not, you know, embedded in in what we do to understand uh, the whole home sharing thing and actually be a bit more, um, you know, familiar with it. Because I think when something, when it first came in, there was, you know, especially in Tokyo uh, or even, you know, other neighbourhoods in Japan, it was like, oh, who are all these people? Like, you know, where are they from? Are they bringing, you know, uh, you know, are they ne'er do wells? Are they going to, you know, upset our charm of and our, you know, the the usual cadence of our of our community? Which is to a be fair, fair, a lot of them are still a little bit like that, especially in the more rural areas. But for sure, but but um, you know, what I want to hear from you know from Stephen is, you know, how is I've done this for myself because it benefits my business. How is Airbnb planning to address that in the broader sense to assist hosts who don't who don't go out and do that like I do? So, thanks for the question. Um, I think let me give you first a macro picture. You know, we we wanted to well, I wanted to know what is the economic impact that we have um, in any markets that we are in, and we commissioned Oxford Economics to do a uh, study of all the Asia Pacific market um, during the period of uh, 12 months up to March 2023 this year. So we look back 12 months and see what happened. How much money do we bring to the different markets? And when we look at Japan, you know, our guests spend a combined of um, 327 billion Japanese yen. That's almost 2.2 billion US dollars in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's they supported. Directly and indirectly, something like 42,000 jobs um, in Japan uh, during that 12 months period. I, I think that that is the macro impact. Now, when we unpack, how did all of this happen? So some of them are through individual efforts like yours, where you went out to build that uh, local guide uh, or local network of Restaurants, izakaya, cafes, and laundromats, and on ideal. So, but we have also done a couple of things on um, from the Airbnb side. Um, one, we work a lot through our host clubs, and we have a lot of host clubs um, across Japan. You can go onto our responsible hosting page on Airbnb. You know, I want to be a host, and if you click Japan, they show you a whole bunch of the different host clubs, including a few in Tokyo and one in Fukuoka. Um, through these host clubs, a lot of the more active hosts, they come together, form a group. They would they would actually develop their own city guides or their own town guides. Um, they would even do things like leave behind printed guides of all their recommended izakayas and cafes and restaurants and, and what have you uh, within the walking distance of the, um, the place that they operate. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing the whole through the host clubs are doing and Airbnb what we try to do is that we organize those host clubs in the beginning for them to get them started um, and then regularly we will provide them with briefing 
provide them with um, updates on products, updates on policies, and then hopefully through working with these host clubs, we can kind of amplify the impact that we have on the local community, positive impacts. Now, the other thing that we also expect, we have been experimenting over the last year and a half, two years, is we have started making deals with the local Shoten guy. Um, so one one of the biggest deals that we had done last year, and, and I went in summer to Osaka to sign a deal, was we partner, we signed an MOU with the association of all the Shoten guy within Osaka city itself, and the multiple Shoten guy. Um, and then the association partnership with us was to promote both short-term rental stays within walking distance from the Shotengai. Quick explanation just to our to our listeners who are not living in Japan, what a Shotengai is. Uh, shopping streets, yeah. And and then in return, you know, our our host would also provide um, guides that are produced by the Shotengai Association that say, hey, within 100 meters from you, this is a Shotengai. You can get the best soba in this particular store. You can get the best yakitori in this other izakaya. So I think that was a that was a great way for us to formalize and also build it at scale in terms of how do you publicize what is available around you in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that was an Airbnb initiative. Um, so uh, you empowered them. Um, did you fund that? I was just just curious about how that how what that looked like. I mean, we kick in some money in terms of um, the press events and then some of the content creation. But for the most part, um, you know, it was it was an effort that the the shop owners wanted, the retailers wanted that kind of exposure to our guests. Mm-hmm. You know, they they were looking for a way to to basically diversify their, their guest traffic. Right? I mean, traditionally, if you hope to get a lot of guests coming visitors to your shopping street, maybe you work with a local hotel concierge, mm-hmm. you, look, you work with tour groups to bring mm-hmm. um, traffic to, to your shopping street. So they identify that short-term rental guests is another very interesting group of um, visitors that they want. So they reach out to us. We also like the idea. We wanted to be able to contribute some ways into the local community um, to boost local spending. That's what we are very, very big on. Um, so that's how we ended up partnering with them. Mm. Well, so so I love it that you've actually given a like a roadmap. Like you know, these are the pathways that you can that hosts can uh, and businesses can work together. So um, that's that's extremely useful. Um, is for that's for the, the the business relationships how about for domestic demand like you know that we in the business 99.9% of our business right now is all inbound it would be fantastic if we could see a lot more uh, domestic demand i mean i'm in tokyo so but i'm not sure what does that look like in other other markets is it uh, like rural areas is that local use or is that still inbound tourists so um, that, that's a very good question, and I, you know, I can what I can share with you is that we always look at any market as that there are three parts to it. There is the inbound um, demand from you know foreign guests coming to Japan, 
Um, there is also the outbound demand. That means people who live in Japan, when they travel out of Japan, we would like them to use Airbnb. And then the last segment is within Japan. When people travel within Japan, people who are living in Japan, when they are traveling within Japan, we would love to have them use Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I think all of you have been in this business for a while um, and you've lived in Japan for a long time. You would, You probably have already realized that most of the Airbnb business really is about inbound at this moment, right? So these are the two segments of the market, uh, the stuff that we are going to work on in 2024 and beyond. You know, these are very, very important market. Um, Japan, from our study, I think is the third largest um, travel market in the world. You know, so it is important for us to be able to capture that. And a big part of that travel market is spending is actually domestic travels, Japanese traveling within Japan. Um, that's that's an important segment, and it's also something that we are working on very very hard um, right now, and also into twenty twenty four and twenty five, and you know the years ahead to to get more Japanese to book Airbnb when let's say they are visiting Matsuyama, mm-hmm. yeah, rather than stay in a hotel in Matsuyama. Yeah, uh, look, I'd, I'd, I'd love to say I think that's a, a really big way for just the general population to, you know, to get an appetite and, you know, see what, you know, because like I said, we've got a, we've had a really big transition from a, a bit of backlash and a bit of like, you know, um, your rejection of the whole home sharing thing to 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 moving forward to, to for people to actually experience for themselves and, and recognize that you know, that, um, that this is a good thing. <laughs> so, um, that home sharing, because it's a new, completely new concept. Um, real cards have been, always been there, but, um, but, you know, ha- there hasn't really been a, a big domestic appetite for, um, for yeah. home sharing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things that we observed during COVID, because as you know, during COVID, Japan's borders were closed. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, when we look at the kind of bookings that actually happen um, on, on the Airbnb platform in Japan, um, obviously they are being done, the bookings are being done by people who live in Japan at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And, and then when we, when we try to unpack what do they want, because a lot of them will be either Japanese or, or foreigners who are living in Japan um, during COVID. So when we look at what do they, they want from their Airbnb stay, um, we found that a lot of them were living and working on Airbnb. They, they, a lot of them were folks that are were living in, say, Tokyo, Osaka, the big cities, and you know, small apartments. They just wanted to get out. They wanted to go somewhere where they had, they can breathe fresh air. They don't have to wear a mask. There are no one around them. Um, they can work from there while while enjoying a little bit of um, private time with their family. So the amenities that were required by these domestic guests became very important stuff that we work with our hosts to say, hey, look, your property in the past was catering to foreign guests. Now you're catering to domestic guests. These are the things that are very important for domestic guests. You need to put in this stuff. So those are the data insights that we were able to share with with our with our host um, to encourage them to to have amenities that actually and services that that can be attractive to both types of guests. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. But I think it's a process. It's going to take a bit of time. Sure. I've got a quick question on that. Yeah. Um, not not specifically, uh, I mean, more specific than just uh, residential um, policy. And part of the big shift in Airbnb legislation back when the uh, the new infrastructure was introduced was to, in practice, almost completely lock out Minpa um, stays in, in mansions, in condo units. I mean, by virtually giving the making the default not allowed and then allowing owner unions, the ones that choose to, which is a tiny percentage of them to to open that up via the the owner's union rulebook. Is there any way that you think um, either hosts or Airbnb, um, obviously we can't 100% control the guests, but maybe involving guests as well to somehow make that more feasible to them? I'm I'm not exactly sure I understand your question. How, how do we make it? How do we make it appealing to unit owners and owner unions in condo blocks to, uh, to be a bit more open to Minpaku? Um, I, I think what we have tried to do is to educate our hosts and our guests. Um, you know that they are they are really living among local people. You know, people live there. So certain types of behaviors are to be expected. And certain types of behaviors are not going to be condoned. So I think reducing the noise and nuisance to your neighbors is one of the main reasons why the Minpaku law was actually enacted. There were, you know, the government was getting way too many complaints of, of, of for want of a better word, bad behaving guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and also maybe absentee hosts um, or, or hosts who were not doing the right thing by controlling the behavior of the guests. Um, so the law was introduced. Um, I, do we think that the law could be a little bit liberalized and reformed to make it a little easier for people to host in, in ordinary apartment buildings? Yes, obviously. And we're in constant conversation with the national government to to make it easier for, for hosting to happen. Now, is the balance that I think we are all trying to achieve you know, whether it's the government or it's Airbnb, um, we're trying to find a balance where we can have a sustainable way for our host to, to host, but not cause so much disturbance and disamenities to the local residents, people who live there long term, um, that they, there will be an uproar, there will be backlash. I mean, I I lived in Fukuoka for two years. My, my apartment unit is um, on the first floor. So I'm just the one level above the ground floor. And, you know, I get annoyed when people drag the trolley bag at 3 a.m. in the morning along the road and it goes at 3 a.m., right? So to me, when I think back to that 3 a.m. when I get awakened, I understand where the law, the intention of the law is. Now, the then the, the question that we want to try to address is, okay, have we put in place good policies, good control measures? Uh, have we done enough education for both hosts and guests such that the the evils that the law was trying to get rid of, those evils have now been properly managed or properly mitigated. They can now be a little bit more fear in terms of allowing more properties to be hosted. Can I just, you know, you know change tax a little bit on this because, you know, urban 
urban hosting and rural hosting are two completely different animals um and i think in every in every country that you're um that you're operating um and in japan that's no different um you know the ur- people who are coming to urban centers they're you know they are doing the you know there's a lot of people in a, in a small <laughs> small space and yet yeah, noise is traveling but with it and that's a different product to the product of of going and having a a staycation or a you know a, a stay in a um a charming a, like old property that's been renovated or in a in a village so i'm going to i'm going to give the give allow you to you know uh talk about the 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 opportunities for people who are looking to renovate um pick up some you know some cheaper akia um in in rural areas and renovate those specifically to capture that staycation feel that like that country you know mini break feeling so like I, I, i'm gonna let you brag on about what um what airbnb have done because i think it's brilliant i think it's absolutely yeah. brilliant so thank you tracy i think i think you're you're, you're spot on you know the 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 kind of visitors that we have the travelers that we have in japan you know a lot of them are very seasoned travelers what we're trying to encourage them to do is a hey look this is like the 20th time that you visited tokyo you know it's about time that you venture outside of tokyo go check out the other parts of of japan and there are really really interesting stuff out there and then the interesting the way that we're trying to encourage people to go is through our product and also through some of the things that we do with the local Uh, community so from the on the product side we have introduced something called categories so if you go and open our app or you go into our platform you'll see little interesting small icons of different types of houses at the top of the page um and the idea behind it is that we use those icons to represent different types of properties or different types of activities that could hopefully attract you to go somewhere else so you don't make your travel decision based on oh i want to go to tokyo but rather hey i want to stay in a historical home or i want to stay in a ryokan where can i find the next available ryokan where is the next available historical home um incidentally we now have around 650 historical homes listed in japan you know through a through a process of both machine reading the different description and photograph and also some human curation we have identified 600 kominkas that we think are worthy of promotion um, within the historical homes icon and then for ryokans we have about 320 of them that we have checked and make sure that they are actually ryokans a lot of them are actually not in the main cities it is, they are they are usually within one hour drive or one hour train ride and you will land up end up in a really beautiful place at a beautiful town that is not going to be over touristed you will get a chance to stay in a architectural heritage of japan to be fully immersed in japan culture so that's the product side on the policy side um we donated a million dollar to the japan kominta association the the donation is meant to be um to help in their grants um which they hand out to people who want to renovate their their kominkas so the jka set the the guidelines the criteria the and they do the selection they make the decision as to which 
Cominca, they want to give a grant. Um, I know that they are handing out grants that are about 5 million yen per grant to help with the renovation. It's not much, but I think it's still good money, you know, 5 million to help with the renovation. Um, this year alone, I think they've already done two rounds of um, application and selection where they handed out some money. We are we're trying to add more money to our donation to the JKA. I have just secured another $225,000 to be handed out to JKA for next year. Um, the idea really is that we believe through providing attractive homes a little bit away from the main cities where they're over-touristed, we will be able to draw the tourism away and then spread out a bit, help out with the rural revitalization, help out with reducing the level of um, disamenity caused by over-tourism. Mm-hmm. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home-away-from-home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know. They're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. Mm-hmm. We, we get a lot of people listening to this podcast or the YouTube channel. or We get a lot of people who are very, very interested in uh, in buying some of these cheaper akias that they're, they're interested in, you know, if they know which end of the hammer to use, they want to do some, you know, some renovations themselves. So we have a lot of people who are very interested in this market now. Um, and the, the, so, you know, how they, knowing that there's a, an ability to go and get additional subsidies to help, 5 million yen actually goes a long way when you're doing a lot of DIY. Um, when they when they when they apply for this 
money through the so JKA is the Japan Kuminka Association. So they have to be a member. Um, do you know what other criteria it is to to make the application? I think the JKA has set out a, a whole list of criteria, and most of it is around uh, um, the construction of the of the of the house. You know, it has to fit a certain um, build criteria, and then also the future plan has to also conform to the certain uh, build criteria that they that they have already set down. So a lot because the JKA is is basically an association of um, craftsmen, architects, you know, historians, um, heritage um, professors. These are guys that, um, you know, their, their goal really is to preserve and protect the architectural heritage of Japan. Um, so the criteria mostly is around making sure that you don't end up building a gigantic mansion out of the Kominga, you know. So that's that's really what, what it's all about. So do they have to, you know, to get this money, do they have to say, well, I'm going you know, I'm planning to actually list this as a, as a short-term rental, as an Airbnb. No. It's, it's just no. you. Okay. We, we, we gave, we gave the money not for purely commercial reason. You know, I mean, obviously we, as a profit making company, there are some commercial reasons behind making that donation, but a big part of it was also to show, to, to, to put some skin in the game behind what we have been publicly saying like we want tourists to disperse we believe in sustainability we believe in not pouring new concrete you know not tearing down stuff and and, and then building something um, brand new we we believe in um, the importance of showing the true authentic side of a place to our guests and, and because of all this belief that's why we gave that money so we we have never said to the JKA or to the recipients of the grants that, oh, you have to list it on Airbnb. We do provide support to these recipients and say, hey, one of the ways that you could hopefully be able to monetize a little bit of your home because it's a very expensive endeavor to, to, to build and to maintain a, a historical homes is maybe you want to consider short-term rental. When you're not using it yourself for whatever reason, do you want to consider using it as a short-term accommodation? Or this, I've seen a lot of lovely, you know, a lot of lovely listings in places like Shikoku and and Kyushu, where you can actually go and live with the family and um and and like uh you know traveling. I want also people to, you know, if they're listening when you're traveling outside of Japan, go and stay with a Japanese family and like really get to know people and that like you will not be disappointed. Um, just the charm and the generosity and the kindness of, of like actually meeting real people um, is, uh, you know, is, is, is such a joy for me. Um, yeah. But that, yeah. that no, works. No, no. Sorry, go Sorry. ahead, Stephen. <clears throat> I want to use this as an opportunity to, to, to make a plug for one of my staff. Um, um, someone on my public policy team in Japan, um, he used to live and work in Tokyo. During COVID, like many Japanese, he ran away from Tokyo and, and you know, drove around with a tank of gas with his girlfriend at the time and tried to figure out where, they, where else they want to live. He ended up, find, he ended up 
finding a beautiful farmhouse in a little town called Fujimi in Nagano, in the okay. mountains of Nagano. Um, he, he took about two or three months to convince the old farmer to sell him the farmhouse. It is an L-shaped farmhouse, which he is currently doing the rebuilding. So his plan is that he will live in one of the farmhouse and then the other one will be listed on Airbnb. Um, and we have a lot of hosts like, like him where they, where they have decided that, you know, they have enough of the big cities. They want to explore a different way of life. And, and through finding this, you know, more affordable Akias and Kominkas and Kuras and Nokas out there, they, you know, they managed to find that opportunity to do it. That works though for um for self-managed for people who are renting out parts of their home. But in the rural communities, it's very challenging to find the license management company that's required. They just don't set up shop in these locations if there's not enough business for them, right? I, I think the Ziv, I think it's a process. You know, this is something still relatively I, I think it's a, it's a concept which is well known within the big cities. But once you go away from the big cities, there's a little bit of um, lack of awareness as to how exactly do you do this? What are the economic upside? What are the potentials? So on our part at Airbnb, we've been encouraging a lot of this, um, what we call host management company, to branch out beyond the big cities. Because within the big cities, they're very competitive. So I personally have been Speaking to two HMCs, uh, one is based in uh, Tokyo, the other one based in Fukuoka, to say, hey, look, I want you guys to go out one hour away because we have a whole bunch of kominkas around Tokyo. We've got a whole bunch of kominkas around Fukuoka, and they're looking for help. They're looking for ways to, to make the check-in process easier, to make their calendar management um, all digitized, um, and then also organize all the services needed. How do you do that? So that's one one thing that we're trying to do in terms of educating and also spreading the services of the HMCs. The other way that we're working is actually with the local government. So coming back to my, my staff in Fujimi, he took it upon himself to engage with the local government of Fujimi to say, hey, I know unemployment is a major problem in your little town. That's why your young people are all running away. We also know that you have a whole bunch of IKEAs that you're trying to offload to investors and also operators and people who want to live in Fujimi. Um, but these guys, they may need help to clean up the big house. You know, they may need help to do the check-in and check-out. Can we figure out a way where we can also employ the people who are unemployed, uh, people who are looking for a job, so that they can stay on in Fujimi and benefit from this um, tourism or hospitality business that um, that's being um, developed in, in Fujimi. So that is also something that we're, we're actively trying to do as we go into a town and city to promote the idea of home sharing, um, pro promote the repurposing of Akias and Kominkas. We also look at the ancillary service that, need, that are needed to support this industry. That goes back to um, goes back to what Tracy was saying before about um, the hosts have to play a big part in in changing that environment to make it more feasible for everyone involved. Yeah. 
Mm. Look, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of picking up properties that are a little bit quirky. I mean, this is me in Tokyo. I, I, I like to pick up properties that are not new and shiny and that they're a little bit quirky and maybe properties that, you know, a regular person is not wanting to rent or buy and actually turning them, you know, turning them into a charming, you know, short-term rental. So I do that a lot. Also because, um, you know, they're a little bit, they might be a little bit cheaper or it's, um, you know, it's just a, a, a nice um, runway for me to to acquire properties to, to list. Which my question is, is like about sustainability as well. Like sustainability, if you look at all of the, the travel and tourism stats that, you know, that, that companies put out, like that uh, travellers, sustainability is like, so high on the uh, the desirable um, what what people want. So how are Airbnb showing that you know the sustainability like um, you know smarts that hosts have put in place? Um, you know, is there a way to showcase the hosts that are doing it well, the the hosts that are you know being sustainable and not using single use plastics and actually you know doing all of the recycling and and also renovating reno- other properties, is there a way that Airbnb are planning to um, celebrate that and you know maybe to help get those hosts booked? Um, you know, interesting that you 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 ask this question because during. COVID, I think it was back in 2021. <clears throat> end, of, end of 2021, we commissioned the Economist Group to do a study. And, and the question that we we wanted the Economist Group to answer was, what would travelers look for when we can all travel again? What is the number one thing that was important, top of mind for them? Um, Around 67% of the respondents told us that sustainability was the number one criterion when they can travel again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and then when we unpack what sustainability means to the 67% of the people who, who responded, <clears throat> environment, environmental sustainability obviously is one of them. You know, how you know, are you using single-use plastic? Are you using... Are you, fig- are you using those little bottles of shampoos and, and, and conditioners and you know, body wash? Or are you using refillable stuff? Yeah, right? um, are, you, are you sourcing your linens locally? Are you sourcing your hand towels from your, your local community? You know, so those were the questions around environment. The other aspect of sustainability that was very interesting for us to see was the importance of that preservation of heritage, preservation of culture, you know, preservation of the local customs. So even in the minds of the travelers that say that sustainability was important, this was an aspect that was important for them. So we have started working on this second aspect because it was something easier. It's a lower hanging fruit for us. We're into, you know, we use category, we use our donation at JKA to encourage people to say, hey, go enjoy these older houses. They're very, very beautiful. The experience is magical. The first aspect of it is the, I think is a work in progress. That's what I want to say, um, because we are a little bit slow in the game here in APAC. Um, some of the things that I want to bring pot over from our global practices is um, 
coming up with some schemes where we can work with local partners in Japan, for example, to encourage our host to build their homes in a way that they would use less um, electricity, use less water, you know, how can you do better insulation, for example, so you don't need to go to do so much heating? How do you do, how do you have better ventilation in the way you design your home so that you don't need air conditioning during, um, during summer? Can we use, um, can we use more sustainable source of energy? You know, is there ways that we can do solar panel in a way and can we, can we encourage you? How can we incentivize you to use solar power, for example? So all of those things, we, we have different experimentation across the world. Um, I'm now actually in talks with my counterparts who are leading this kind of global initiative and try to port them over to, to APEC in 2024. So um, watch this space. I hope to have some announcement to do for Japan uh, because I think the whole... You know, in terms of the awareness of what is needed to be sustainable, um, the awareness level in Japan is definitely very, very high in Asia. We just need to convert that awareness to actual action. I think that's, Those are all that's very relevant key. factors for not just um, hosts. They're very relevant factors for any foreigner purchasing a holiday home, say, or even a family home in Japan. They're, they're not as common here as they are in other countries. So that's definitely yeah. a, a much needed initiative. Yes, and also, you know, you brought up electricity, um, electricity supply chain, um, you know, and um, that's something that I know other countries are really looking at. Japan is still, I think, behind, you know, behind in terms of public policy of, like, um, uh, electricity supply, you know, use of geothermal, for example, and I think there are certain places that they're bringing that in to, um, you know, to people who own houses, which which won't make TEPCO very happy, but um, that's not my problem. I think, you know, it's too important. The sustainability question is too important on a global scale, not just in hosting and not just in, in um, uh, you know, in, in this field. So, um, you know, please keep please keep up that that pressure because it's you know yeah. it's 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 what guests are asking for but i think it's what us as humans need to be asking for as well so yeah and and and, and there's a very interesting aspect of traveling to japan that um i, I find at least for me as a foreigner you know i find it very fascinating when i first arrived in japan the biggest challenge i have was not the language it was actually trying to sort out the different rubbish the garbage that that I generate when I live in and when I live anywhere, and I was living, I was staying in in, in Airbnb for, for for three months, different different Airbnbs across um, Fukuoka, and then through that three months of constant reminder from my host uh, as to how to sort out the garbage, I learned, mm-hmm. and I would like to believe that in some ways, you know, guests that come to Japan and book Airbnb. I hope they go home with some of these ideas in mind and say, oh my God, you know, we really need to sort out our garbage. And when you sort out your garbage, you see how much garbage you're generating, especially those plastic bottles. And then you, you ask yourself, do you really need to buy that bottle water? Why can't you just bring your own bottle from home and then refill mm-hmm. it? You know? So mm-hmm. so that's that when when I now look back. I kind of love it, you know, the, the challenge I had and the frustration I felt. But now I also feel like, hey, 
our host is doing a pretty good CSR job in promoting being more environmental friendly and more environmentally aware. Hopefully, most of the travelers, when they go home, they will still practice the same kind of, you know, conservation and sorting out their garbages. Stephen, is that right? If I, I just want to ask, um, so I know we've been talking a lot about sort of rural areas or places outside of Tokyo. Um, and I think that, you know, revitalization of these areas is is definitely a topic that's that's big. Um, but looking back at Tokyo, so when I had my properties, it was largely in the Tokyo area. With the way the rules have changed and the regulations, basically, you know, you mentioned earlier as well yourself that now hosts are becoming basically professional hosts. They're having multiple properties um, or it's more large. I think largely because of the 180 day rule, um, the people that are getting into it are no longer just individuals that are just uh, hobbyists or interested in sort of the room sharing, but rather it's businesses and corporations setting up hotels. And especially in Tokyo, I think that's more the direction moving forward. What, how do you see the dynamic for Tokyo, um, uh, for Airbnb's presence in Tokyo sort of moving forward? And are there any policy sort of changes you think that are going to happen which will change that direction? Thank you for that. I, I mean, I think the the reality is that in all the major cities, and it's not just Tokyo. You know, whether it's Osaka, even the Fukuoka, Sapporo, um, we've seen it um, happen that as the law changed, a lot of the more casual hosts, uh, I think you call them hobbyists, um, they they kind of fall by the wayside because of the the conditions are so hard. You know, like getting your neighbor's consent. Um, getting your your management corporation um, approval um, uh, or building unions approval, um, <clears throat> and then after you go through all the paperwork and all the hassle, you only get to host it for 180 days. Is it really worthwhile? So, what has actually happened since the law has passed is, um, yes, um, more and more hosts are professional hosts. They are companies. They are running this like a business. We're also seeing investors taking over entire building yeah. and then converting the entire building and then applying for a hotel license for the entire building. But they're still apartment units. Yeah, they're run like apartment. Um, like if you check in, they will look like a typical Airbnb complete with a kitchenette, a washing machine inside the unit, couple of rooms. You know, it looks like a normal apartment, but it's operating under a hotel license, which is permissible for certain um neighborhood where it's zoned commercial and you know it is permissible when you actually have the whole building that you can convert. We're seeing a lot more of that kind of thing happening. But we're still we still want to go back to the founding days, the original DNA of Airbnb, you know. So we're having a lot of conversation with the national government that say, hey, you passed the law in 2018 to address some of this concern. We believe over these few years, those concerns have been very well managed and very well mitigated. It's time we re-look at your 2018 law. And it's also up for review because the, the law has a, a, a clause in there that says, I think by this year, actually, in 2023, it's supposed to be reviewed. So we're having that conversation 
with the central government to say, let's look at some of the ways that we can make it easier um, for ordinary people to host their homes, because that's really what it is about. Um, you don't have enough rooms in your major cities. You know, you come, you don't have enough space to build more hotels. Maybe this is the supply that will help you capture the the um, tourists that you want to capture. Back so, to environmental concerns, you don't want to build more and more hotels and concrete monsters, right? Yes, I think for us, that's our belief, you know, and I think, you know, I, I can't speak for the Japanese government if that is something that is a priority for them. What are some of the wish list items on, you know, the the regulation change, if you could, uh, like in, yeah. in a realistic manner? I, I think the, top, the number one thing that we don't really like about the um, current regulatory framework is that everything is paper-based, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, you guys, you guys are professionals. You live there. You, you've been through it. You know, it's just a whole bunch of paper, a lot, a lot of papers. You know, so even even for our hosts who are who are who are locals who are Japanese who live here, they they always call this out as their number one frustrations, right? Um, all the licenses, renewal, application, all of those are people. We we've been encouraging them to digitalize as much as possible. Um, in in the state of New South Wales, for example, in Australia, the entire registry is online. So they, they build an API, which allow any platform operator to connect to that API. And the application, once the host put in the application, it goes live. And um, as the host do their listing through our platform, our system will ping the central registry to check whether it's valid. If it's valid, the hosting process, the listing process continue. If it's not valid, you get blocked. You know, So that that is something that is very big on our agenda. Um, I've actually personally spoken to <clears throat> the digital minister, Mr. Taro Kano, and say, hey, look, if you're planning to digitalize your bureaucracy, can you please start with this? This is a big problem, you know. <laughs> um, so that's, that's something which is um, our number one bugbear among our hosts, and they want us to solve it. Um, I think the neighbor consent, you know, getting your management corporation approval, or I think they call it the building union approval, that is something that we would like it to be reviewed, you know, to make it a little bit more reasonable, make it a little bit easier. Um, right now it's a little bit hard. And then the third thing that we have been asking the government to do is to perhaps take back some of the authority that they have delegated to local government to add on more condition. Okay, so Kyoto, for example, is one of those that are, that is really, I, I know where they're coming from, but I also think they have gone a little bit too far. Um, because they require that the host be physically located within 20 minutes by walking from their property. I was like, dude, seriously? What's the difference between him walking and him driving? If he can reach me by driving within 20 minutes, it's not going to make any difference, right? To you. Why did you have to specify that? So I think all of these kind of conditions that sometimes, you know, we feel is a little bit unreasonable, is going a little bit too far. We would like them to be to be reviewed and reformed. Can I put something else on your radar then, Stephen? 
is that there's been a lot of talk about the digital nomad visa that has been coming through. Um, And this is really to try and spark some entrepreneurial ships and, you know, people who are living as digital nomads to come and spend some time in Japan. And Time and um, money. Time and money. Time and money, exactly. But also the innovation and all of that and, like, using Japanese infrastructure and all of those good things that digital nomads do. Now, someone like myself, because of these 180-day rules, I actually actively go out and 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 look for digital nomads because their listing, their bookings are for 30 days or more. And that means I'm not having to be on, like I don't have to like report with my 180 days. And that's how I operate my business. So the, the thing is, I would love to be able to market directly to digital nomads through the Airbnb platform. However, if even if I get a 30-day booking on Airbnb, I still get cut off. Like, you know, if I booked 180 days, I get cut off. And that 30 days, even though it's not technically a minpaku booking, I still have to, I still lose that ability to market. So I market offline. But wouldn't they also have to give you the ability to then sign a lease for it not to fall under the Minpaku regulation? There has to be a lease agreement in place, which I don't think is something that booking platforms provide, right? Uh, we that's the question. Anyone over thirty days, I I have a lease anyway, um, and that's and that I do that directly. Yeah, it but would, not via Airbnb. So how would they well, monitor that? I guess. Uh, Stephen, I'll I'll leave that question to you. <laughs> short, short answer is that we don't. Um, the longer answer is again, the laws are less than ideal in this respect. Um, again, it, it's an ongoing conversation that we have with the government that, you know, it, it makes no sense. Um, people are staying longer. Uh, we, we share with them that one in five of our booking for our, on Airbnb for the last two years is for more than 28 days. Yeah. We, we have a lot of people staying longer on Airbnb. And and uh, you see, the, the, law, the law for longer stay is a different set of law. And that goes into the real estate broker law. For us as a platform to intermediate any kind of stay that is more than 30 days, we need, we as a platform need to have a real estate brokerage license. So that will complicate the way that we operate our business because right now we don't have that real estate brokerage license, which is why you got cut off. That's the reason. Right. And we do, we do know, we do know a lot of hosts like yourself who then take the transaction off platform, you know. No, I'm not taking, like, anyone who books on Airbnb, they stay on Airbnb. Airbnb have done their marketing to bring me that customer. I'm not one of these people who try to, you know, save myself a couple of bucks by going direct. I think that's a very poor way of right. respecting the relationship. So uh, yeah. what, no, what I'm saying is that my marketing, I'm marketing off platform. Um, yeah. The people who are booking 30-day stays are still reported, I still have to report those stays as 30 days off my 180 days of the year to the Hokkenjo because they've been booked on Airbnb, because Airbnb yep. are reporting that that data Correct. as a stay. And that to me is like, well, hang on, that that's I'm that they're not they're not Mimpaku 
they're not minpaku, but I still have yes. to follow the law. So that's a that's a bugbear as a as a host, yeah. as a professional host that that I have, and I just wanted to to put that on your radar because I've got you here, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But uh, yeah, no, 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 no. It, it is actually on our radar um, because we have okay. been we have been having a conversation with the central government since last summer. Because last summer I was in Japan for two months and I ended up explaining to a lot of the government officials that I met, you know, what exactly am I doing in Japan for two months in a stretch? I say, well, I'm doing what a lot of people who are traveling to Japan are doing. They're staying here for a very extended period of time. And your laws, in whether it's visa, whether it's the real estate brokerage law, the, the, the Minpaku law, all of this are not reconciled properly to cater to this group of people. You need to think about it. Um, so we, we have been advocating for this digital nomad visa with the Japanese government for a long, long time. Um, I can share with you that there are a lot of momentum behind wanting to do this. Um, the, the, at least the tourism folks, they understand this. Um, we now have to convince the immigration folks that it makes sense. I think that's that's as much as I can share in terms of the ongoing conversation that we are having with them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's above my pay grade, so I appreciate <laughs> that, that someone else who is way smarter than me and, like, way more connected with, like, talking, being able to talk the language of politics is handling that. So, Our yeah. partner at Immigration Lawyers seems to feel the same way. Every time I ask him about the digital nomad visa, he said, yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I think there are, there are a lot of interest at the um, at the local government level. So I, be, I I know that Fukuoka recently hosted a digital nomad visa. Yep. And and Mayor Takashima actually turned up in person to to greet these thirty or forty digital nomads that were staying in Fukuoka for that one month. And the entire event was actually um, co-hosted by the Fukuoka Convention and uh, Convention and the visitors bureau by visitor bureau yes. yeah, yeah yeah i went out to meet them when they they stayed in a bunch of places along the along the coast all the way out to itoshima and i i right. went to meet them in imajuku it was uh it was a nice group of people it was great chatting with them yeah so yeah we we, we need to have more this our grounds up you know cries and say hey you need this because the travelers want to do this and and the local businesses would love to have this because another, another interesting aspect of the um, people who live and work anywhere, people who stay longer, their spending pattern is very different from those people who stay here for just a weekend or a week. Mm-hmm. You know, they will tend to really go local in their spending. They are not going to be all going to Ginza to have their meals. That's it. They are actually going to be spread out into the local community. You know, if they're staying in Nakameguro, that's where they're going to get their coffee. They're not going to go to Ginza. You know, so in terms of dispersing and spreading the economic benefit that you can get out of tourism, we actually believe digital nomads are the ones that can actually help you spread it out. Yeah. And it's a big number. 20% of my bookings are for a month. Sustainability is a big thing for digital nomads as well. Um, I had somebody who was running a bit of a digital hub for nomads in Japan on on another podcast for the other company. And um, he he was actually surprised to when he did his own research that um, I think 
somewhere under 70% or 60-something percent of his uh, membership were female, number one. And uh, number two, one of the top concerns for them, exactly as you said about your guess, was sustainability and, and uh, yeah, environmentally friendly stays. Yeah. How are you working with other platforms um, to do these sort of uh, policy changes? Ooh, good question. Are, are you guys all aligned and working together or is it, you know, there's no synergy? Um, we are aligned when our interests are aligned, our <laughs> policy interests are aligned. So I am a member of a group called the Asia Travel Tech Industry Association. Um, all the big names are there. Um, our, our competitors are there. A couple of the um, um, airlines, um, Armadillas, you know, Skyscanner, Agoda, Booking, Expedia. These are all members of that that grouping. And using that grouping, we we are able to work on policy issues that are of common interest to all of us, and where we have um, aligned um, policy position. Um, so that's that's at the Asia level, um, and then also at the at the local level in Japan, um, there is the um, Japan Association of Vacation uh, Rental. So, plus a few other local companies, um, we form this association. And again, that's where we use it as a platform to share best practices, to align interests, and and then to to be a same voice that we can use to engage with the government. It's a perfect example of capitalism um, making some much-needed social changes, I think. Uh, I think, Stephen, we probably kept you long enough. Does anybody have any final questions um, that you want of Stephen or any any last statements that you want to tell our our listeners, Stephen, yourself? Well, not not a statement, but, you know, I think um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank um, all our hosts um, in Japan um, I know they've gone through a lot. Um, some of you here have, have been through it personally. You've gone through a lot of changes. Um, I hope that we will continue to be good partners to all of you as you grow your hosting business. And also to any listeners on, on your podcast who are thinking about, you know, getting their hands on a beautiful Kominga somewhere and becoming an Airbnb host, um, don't feel like you have to do this by yourself. There are a lot of experts like the three of you on this call. Um, and there are also a lot of host clubs across Japan they can provide you with the peer support and then last to but the not network least, yeah that's a very good yeah. idea mm. and the last but not least we you know we're here to help you know we we want we can only be successful if our hosts are successful so hopefully we can all have a great 2024 and beyond thank you very much thank you very much for your time Stephen and everybody thank you. else yeah thank you so much this was this was really great and like again I just want to um, express my gratitude for for you fighting a good fight for, for because for, for hosts like me who it's who are serious and who actually believe we are doing good things for the Japanese economy for the Japanese society and you know even though I'm an import um you know I I, I take it very seriously and I and, and I thank you for that for that support so um please uh keep it keep up the good work yeah same thank here I, I know it's certainly an uphill battle uh, specifically in Japan so much appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate the hustle <laughs> Thank you very much. When, when, I, when I come back in um, 2024, I might end up looking like you, my friend. <laughs> 20 years, this is what happened. And then with three kids, it's a combination. Stephen, thank you so much, mate. Thank, thank you very you. much. You all have a great new year. Thank you. 
You as well. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Stephen Liu, Director of Public Policy for the Asia-Pacific region at Airbnb and an all-out nice, not to mention super savvy dude. Hope you've enjoyed the interview and conversation with him. I know I sure did. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!